Get the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music guide you through the opaque world of venture capital and reveal all the ways you can source capital for your company's growth. It all starts right here with Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music on VC Confidential. Welcome to VC Confidential. I'm Ann Kennedy, and I'm here with my co-host and partner at Outlines Venture Group, Jillian Music. Together, we are the managing directors of the Sibylla Masters Fund. You can learn more about that at masters.vc. Hi, Jillian. Hey, Ann. What's on your mind today? Wow. Um, Equity, and not the kind of equity that VCs purchase when they invest capital in a startup. The kind of lack of equity in the field of venture capital and in society at large that leads to so many people of color and especially women of color who start brilliant companies and are unable to raise the capital needed to make them successful. Let's talk about that. Well, that's certainly a topic worth unpacking. And, you know, black women founders face abominable numbers when it comes to funding and denial of privilege. Yes, they do. And privilege is where the divergence of funding begins. Well, let's talk about that with some statistics. So a while back, you emailed me a link to an interview, and we can add that link to that YouTube video on our LinkedIn page so that our listeners can uh, check it out. I recently shared some of the data that Roland Martin, who is an author and a contributor to many news outlets, uh, shared uh, You know, during that interview. He was being interviewed with educator Jane Elliott. Uh, we'll talk about her as well in the future, I hope. Uh, but um, I shared it with the women startup founders who are part of Davis Wright Tremaine's Project W. And in particular, we were talking about a black women founders. So listeners can find the deck that I gave at slideshare.com under my name, Jillian Music. So here's the thing. In that interview, Roland Martin ran through a brutally clear picture of why, as he says, black people can't get their shit together. Now consider this. In 1970, that was the year that black Americans became what he calls fully free Americans, able to marry whom they wished, for example. 1970. So here's how Roland explains how the pieces come together, right? The GI Bill was available to get white soldiers through college. We always think about the GI Bill as putting soldiers through college. No, white soldiers. Black soldiers didn't get a GI Bill. I mean, just let that sit for a minute, right? Blacks could not work in many jobs that were available to white men at all. Literally, you know, need not apply. Average white folks today have $110,000 in wealth. Average black families, $5,000. In the middle class, wealth largely comes from home ownership. And that's where those numbers come from. It's home ownership, right? So use profiling and targeting the prison system, redlining to prevent black men from owning homes. Don't even think about black women owning homes. That's what these numbers are really about. We talk about people, we mean white men. We talk about men, we need, we mean white men. We talk about black people, we mean black men. By the time you get down to really meaning black women, oh my gosh, redlining means literally don't invest here, don't lend here. In the mortgage crisis of 2009, Roland pointed out that 53% of black wealth was wiped out. 
and what he really meant was 53% of black men's wealth. Women didn't even get to play the game in such small numbers that it didn't make a difference. In 2017, the Federal Reserve reported <coughs> excuse me, that the mean black wealth is merely 10% that of white wealth in the United States. That was 2017. And today, according to the U.S. Census report, 40% of all black persons, which includes black Hispanics, live below the poverty line. Yeah, that's really stunning. And while those stats refer to black men, the net for black women left holding the net. Sorry, couldn't resist a pun. Uh, the, those statistics directly reveal the origins of the lack of privilege that results in women receiving 2% of conventional venture capital and black women receiving such a small percentage of venture capital that it does not register in fewer than three decimal points. So we're talking thousands of a percent. So here's what's additionally disturbing. Uh, unless there is massive systemic change in equity in the United States, by 2053, the median black wealth in the U.S. will be zero dollars. That is zero as in non-existent, and that's the median. That means there are a whole lot of them with negative, right? right. That is correct. Yeah, as if we needed more disturbing news than that, right? Absolutely yeah. stunning, right? And I would agree. Uh, again, I have to point out that women receive 2% of venture capital. You pointed out that it was thousands of 1% that w black women receive. This goes on and on. Let's, you know, kind of put that in perspective. Arlen Hamilton is a black American uh, venture capital investor. How many VC stories, the VCs who run their own companies, right? How many of their stories would include the words, I spent three years homeless to make this happen? Right. So right. can you just define the wealth? Because as we talk about it here, because I think it's relevant to this discussion. Yeah. So yeah, I'll point out to our listeners right here. Yeah. Wealth is defined here as money that is not used to operate one's life from one day to the next. Okay. The money and the value from items one owns that is not part of the capital that you use to feed, clothe, shelter an individual or a family and so on. That's the stuff that's considered wealth. Salaries are not included, no matter how high or how low. Capital required to survive is not uh, investable. It cannot be invested to earn more capital. Wealth is created from the purchase of stocks, bonds, a large number of other capital instruments, and of course, for most people, that's real estate, you know, and even such items as, I don't know, art or antiques or whatever, anything that might increase in value over time, that is known as capital wealth or and, wealth. And in the immortal words of old J.P. Morgan, them as has gets. That so, is correct. Th thanks for so that definition. Right. Yeah, and, and by the way, that, that's huge, Anne, that, that oh, yeah. them as has git. Yep. If you don't have a base that's anywhere near equal to the beginning mark, I know that there was this, uh, I don't know, a game played in which people were, you know, put on a starting line, and starting lines went back as much as a thousand feet behind the other person, everybody had to get to the same finish line, those kinds of things. And it depended on what your privilege looked like. People are trying to make this difference look visceral. And I think it's important that we think of it that way. Um, Absolutely. So but easy here's to what's dismiss. really, 
other yeah. you know, and reasons. and it's yeah. also easy to say okay this is uh, equity it's justice it's the right thing to do but if you listen to um, my, my friend Natalie Nixon who's the CEO mm -hmm. at the Creative Leap here in Philly and an acknowledged expert on the subject of equity in the workplace if you listen to what she has to say in a report that she did for Living Cities after the US population shifts to majority non-white residents around 2030 to 2050 somewhere in there white wealth will continue to increase yeah right because that's what it's been doing um, without serious change in this course, the country is headed towards a racial and economic apartheid state. Now, yeah. again, this is more than just inequity and um, unjust. She outlines the clear benefits to all members of the American public when black Americans accrue wealth. She notes that if black people actually had fair and equal access to the same quality of education, housing, jobs, healthcare, and capital that is almost entirely in the purview of white Americans today, all of American society would grow and prosper. That's why what we keep saying, Jillian, make the pie bigger, it's better for everyone. Absolutely right. So what does the future hold? You know, consumer spending makes up 70% of economic growth. And when black and brown people become the majority, they will continue to have no real expendable capital. It's easy to see how the United States economy is going to suffer. In 2020, less than 70% of the total electorate will be white for the first time in history, right? If black Americans are not privy to the knowledge and decisions making uh, decision-making processes that are part of the decent, if not extraordinary, education that every white person in America is privy to, it's also easy to see how self-governance becomes pretty much impossible. And this gives rise to desperate totalitarianism and dictatorship. And while the black American population attempts to thrive under the massive weight of lack of privilege, Minority entrepreneurs start 65% of all companies in the U.S. Yes, absolutely. And uh, African-American women, black women, will start an extraordinary amount of that. They account for 89%. That's 1,625 new businesses opened every single day in 2019 in the United States. Yeah, now we have to take a break, but we're going to come back with some solutions because it's all very well to talk about how bad things are but what can we do about it and we have some ideas for our listeners so this is vc confidential and we'll be right back more ways you can source capital for your company's growth on vc confidential is coming up ready to do a podcast for your business make that podcast elevate to enterprise level let webmasterradio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base webmasterradio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands google yahoo and bing and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. 
With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music are back with the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow on VC Confidential, only on WMR.FM. Welcome back to VC Confidential. Jillian and I have laid the groundwork in historical statistics and predictions for what happens unless something changes to balance the inequity and unjust of, uh, racial injustice in this country. Now, let's talk about what can be done. Before so, the break, we opened yeah. this conversation with a heap of statistics. And man, we have more, and we'll put them up on our LinkedIn page. Um, but Jillian, your own story might help illuminate how just privilege works. Because as far as I know, you're not black or brown. That would be correct, yeah. Um, so I'm the second child of five. I'm born to German and Austrian World War II refugees. I was born and raised in New York City. My mother arrived in the United States at the age of 14, and she was fortunate enough to have been sent to a high school, and so she got high school education. My father had been thrown out of grade school in Germany because his mother was Jewish. Both of my parents, of course, were Caucasians coming from those countries, therefore so am I. Now, my father arrived at the age of 16. He immediately went to work and supported his parents and the younger brother, and he he didn't get a GED or, you know, the high school equivalent, essentially, degree until after he married my mother. He was an adult. My father worked as a blue-collar laborer. My mother birthed and cared for the children. That was very common in the time. Now, my father died when my youngest sibling of five, right, was one and a half years old. So we survived for a few years on welfare. And until the first moment when the youngest was enrolled in school, uh, my mother was at home caring for them. After that, she got a secretarial job in some local church, and we lived fairly meagerly. I grew up in what's known today as Spanish Harlem in New York City. So here's where my story differed from my black friends and even Hispanic friends who were at school and on the playground. Poverty was a generational blip in my Caucasian household of European heritage. There were few other white kids who grew up in my neighborhood, right? White families moved away from the neighborhood as soon as the neighborhood composition moved from those European immigrants to the Latina immigrant populations. This happens a lot in New York City and many other cities. The immigrant populations change over time, depends on what's going around in the world and kind of how one clusters into these neighborhoods, right? So white families moved away, and some, like my family, did not, quote, move up in American society. And that really meant we did not attain the capital to purchase a residence outside the city or in the suburbs, if you will. Right. So here's where my path really diverged. Education is the way out was the mantra of both my parents and then my mother following the death of my father, of course. I recall I was about four years old. My sister was about seven. And like so many little girls in the 50s, she announced one evening that she was going to grow up to be a nurse. 
Now, unusually, my father was at home at that moment. He worked lots of low-paying jobs, several at a time, to keep this family going. And he was a quiet, kind of thoughtful and bookish man. He had a very thick German accent, a deep baritone voice. And he was, as I said, quiet. He loved to hike, to wander, as he called it, to bicycle. He couldn't afford to own a car, so he taught us children to ride. And he took us as far as our little legs would carry us. And we got to see a somewhat bigger world than just our neighborhood. But... That night, he was home, and he bellowed, literally, a nurse. Why would you want to be a nurse when you could be a doctor? You're an American. You can be anything you want to be. Now, that's a lot of information, right? <laughs> right in there. Yeah. But we didn't get it so much later, right? <laughs> My sister and I were plastered against our living room wall. We were really stunned. He had rarely spoken loudly. He certainly didn't shout and never in our presence. He left the discipline to my mother, and, and we never heard him raise his voice before, right? So it taught us a number of things. It taught us that we had privilege that he didn't have. He was restricted in his work because of his thick accent, his lack of education, and the lack of capital to go get one. A few years later, he was able to convince the meat packers union where he worked, right, to pay for heating, ventilating, and air conditioning. That's HVAC classes because it was, quote, related to his job. And he got away with it. His job, it was hauling carcasses of meat off a truck into a smokehouse. That was hot, right, heating. And then from the smokehouse to the refrigerator, that was the air conditioning, right, in the meat packers district in New York. So, while he put in all these late night hours and he still got up at five in the morning to do a menial job, right? And then he went to a second job and so on before he returned home, usually long after our childhood bedtimes, right? He was finally able to obtain a GED as well. And he was able to get some help and get some, uh, you know, post high school uh, classes through this um, uh, union and so on, right? But he struggled in ways that white Americans who didn't have his background in America, right, did not. Jobs were close to him. His first job in the United States was to wash floors at the French embassy on the condition that he'd never speak a word because of his accent. Banks denied him loans that they gave to American-spoken white men. Now, as dreary as that story might sound, right, that pales by comparison to what black people in America suffer through and work past every single day in 2020. Basic human respect and safety on the street is not theirs for the taking. My mother told us something similar to what my father had taught us, but she did it from another angle. She said, you are Americans. Anything is possible. When you go out into the street, the people are there to help you. The police are there to help you, not harm you. Now, that rings in my ears today when we dredge up yet again the ugly fact that in the streets, black Americans are still not safe. And the police are in such large numbers still not there to help you if your skin is black. Rather, you're still marked as dangerous by the very fact of your being if you are black in America. Now, I grew up white in America. I was born of parents who knew what it meant to be targeted for killing by virtue of their birth. They came from one or more Jewish parents, right? Black people in America today still live with that. My privileged experience was based on the fact that I was born white and I spoke American English. And certainly I worked hard to dispel the limitations of growing up female. So did you, Anne. And so do so many white women who build their own companies. Yes, right. But I didn't have to grow up learning to fear for my life and managing that risk. I didn't have to raise my children, especially sons who have to grow up managing that risk. 
the stats and the historical facts that we covered in the first segment of our show don't even scratch surface on the massive systemic imbalance and the opportunities for white people versus people of color in America today. Thank you, Jillian. That really does help explain a bit of the difference. Um, thinking about what this means in venture capital, you know, our show's central topic, mm -hmm. we hear colleagues over and over offer to mentor black founders. And entrepreneurs of color, both male and female, are quite rightfully and often telling us that they are over-mentored and under-resourced. Yeah. Black entrepreneurs know how to run their companies, target their markets, and build their products. They don't need more mentoring and, air quotes, perspective. To paraphrase <laughs> Robin D'Angelo from her book, White Fragility, we white folks think we know better and do our best to ameliorate structural racism by mentoring our black brothers and sisters. Now, if we just pause you and think about it for a minute, this in itself is an insidious form of racial supremacy. Uh, mm -hmm. To put it a little closer to home, our friend and colleague, Nora Mae Cadena of Mila Capital out in Los Angeles said it well, we don't need advice or more instructions, we need cash. Yes, and our good friend Barbara Clark of Astia and Portfolio, uh, she agrees. Barbara's one of my favorite investors in the world. She's a plain speaker. She brooks no nonsense. She never gilds a lily. Barbara Clark recently shared four real things that investors can do to move the needle on improving equity in America. Invest in black female entrepreneurs, she said. How? Well, that one's easy. Here we go. Number one, just write the damn check. Two, double your usual check size, three, lead the round, and four, champion the deal. You want to break that down for our listeners? Let's just start before yeah, we take I'll, our next break, shall we? Yeah, um, we got a couple minutes here. I'll start with the easy one, write the damn check. You know, founders who don't have the privilege of taking university business graduate classes and staying late for entrepreneurs' clubs because they have to work to support their education don't get hours and hours of pitch practice. Look past the polished pitch, the orderly presentation of information in the way that you, the seasoned investor, is accustomed to seeing and hearing it. The fancy pitch deck and smooth baritone voice that is so common need to be set aside. And by the way, there aren't a lot of women with baritone voices either. Yeah, no a kidding. few, but not many. <laughs> um, Only listen, as we age. <laughs> yeah, listen more deeply to the idea. With a capable CEO at the helm, is this a good business idea? Look past the, you know, kind of maybe not, not quite perfect financial projections, lack of channel partners listed in the pitch deck, and think, which channel partners does the this, this CEO need for this company to become successful, and how can I help her get ready to win them? What money will it really take to get this off the ground and scale it? Think, if my portfolio CEOs had her grit and her great idea, if they built what this CEO has built on as little capital as she has had to use to date, and if those CEOs had everything, including the capital that I bring to the table, would I be funding them today? Don't look yeah. for perfection according to what you expect. Venture capital is pure risky business. 96% of venture investments made by VCs just like you fail to return a respectable ROI to their funds. So just write the damn check. We need to take a break now. Um, and after the break, we will go on with the three other important 
points that we can take as venture capitalists to contribute mightily to not just uh, solving racial inequality and injustice, but also uh, improving the nation's economy. So this is VC Confidential, and we'll be right back. More ways you can source capital for your company's growth on VC Confidential is coming up. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY Podcasting System. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one training a weekly podcast for you or your company, distribution to almost every podcast portal, an embeddable player for your website, an ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts, and much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.wmr.fm and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music are back with the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow on VC Confidential, only on WMR.FM. Welcome back to VC Confidential. We are so glad you joined us. In the last segment, we talked about the first of four things venture capitalists can and should do to move the needle on improving equity in venture capital. And since money is power in every society on this planet Earth, take it away, Jillian. Absolutely. Uh, I'll take number two. You know, we uh, we talked about number one. That's write the damn check. Number two is double the check size. Right. So money is power. We don't have to necessarily like the equation, but we better deal with it. So here's the risky business, right? You're going to take the risk. You're going to write the check. And now we're saying double down on that risk. What? We're asking too much from you? Really? Was it less risky to underwrite a couple of kids wet behind the ears who told you that the web was going to be, uh, you know, trillions and trillions of pages in short order and they were going to make you a fortune by providing a free search engine to the public? Remember the name of their little software product? That was Google. Yeah. Yeah, because these wizards, the idea people, were so unprepared to run a company, they didn't even have a product name. They certainly had no idea of the complexity of the business model and the revenue streams that was going to become Google today. So don't give me, I don't take that kind of risk. Give it up, investors. 
Stop holding black women CEOs to the same standards of having to, of these higher standards, never mind same standards, right? The higher standards of having to prove their markets be halfway scaled before you even give them a few bucks. And then you do it with an average of 18% of the valuation enjoyed by their male colleagues who were no better prepared than they were. If the idea is a good idea, and as you said, Anne, in the first you know, that, that uh, segment before, where you said, think if my current CEOs, the people I did take a bet on, were running this show, would I invest in it, right? Substitute that so you can get rid of that, that back of the head, I don't know if I can trust the CEO thing, because that truly is where it lies, folks. And that, and that 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 uh, reptilian medulla. <laughs> exactly. So if it's a good idea, write the damn check and double it. You know these women are going to have at least twice as hard a time raising the capital as that tall, youthful, slender white male from Harvard or Stanford with a baritone voice. If only it were merely twice as hard. There are truly cases, right? You know, if that were truly the case, black women would be rocking this business world today. It's thousands of times more difficult. Just think about that. Thousands of times. Black women funders get no capital. So take some real VC risk, right? Be among the first to fund a black woman founder and see what kind of returns you get. White women founders, since they're the only ones who ever got anything, and that was the 2% to date, they're returning an average of 35% higher ROI than their male colleagues while raising 66% less capital because they can't get it right and exiting one to two years sooner on average women are rocking it white women are rocking it wait till you see what a black woman can do for your portfolio lead indeed that's the next one yeah the next one lead the round why is this important okay well so many investors are unwilling to lead around it's like waiting around for somebody else to raise their hand in class and answer the question before jumping in uh, you know to chime in that they also knew the answer it's laziness Right? Yeah, it's costly to do the due diligence, but if a deal is worth doing, then do the work to make it yours. Riding on everybody else's coattails, letting other firms source the deal and set the terms and do the due diligence and then tossing in a few bucks, you know, a bit of capital does not make you a VC. It makes you a leech, a hanger on. And yeah, I just said that in the radio. Mm-hmm. This does not mean that you must lead every round for every company that comes along. But for heaven's sakes, when a black woman comes to you, with an idea worth pursuing, get the work done for her. That's the equity you can hand her, right? Lead that round. That work is something concrete you can give to improve the quality of Im- the, excuse me, the equity imbalance in venture capital. You know how hard it will be for her to get a lead and get the funding. Once a VC is willing to lead a round, it's much easier to get other VCs to sign on. So be the guy, lead the round. And finally, before we have to wrap this episode, um, number four, champion the deal. You can invest. You can double your check size. You can lead the round. Now, so that all of it does not go to waste, after all, you have a fund to make profitable for your own investors, champion the deal. Get on the horn. Talk to your friends and colleagues. Share your due diligence. Champion the founder and the deal. Help her raise the rest of the capital. Jillian, why is that more than just a nice thing to do? 
Well, here's the thing. VCs can't invest whatever they commit to invest if the whole round isn't raised. Angels do it all the time. Here's my $25,000 check, and then they trust you to get up to 500000 bucks, and you get to use that 25000 right now. It can just go down the toilet. That's not how it works when you get to the later stages, right? The commitment is predicated on the assumption that the entire round is going to be raised. So champion the deal and make sure the entire round is raised. You know, agreeing to lead the round means nothing if you have, and you've accomplished nothing, as Natalie Molina would say, that is optics over outcomes, not outcomes over optics. Get it done. Champion the deal. Make sure the capital is raised. Yep. And men do it for each other all the time. Championing is where you share and leverage your power with another who hasn't got that power. That's right. And and that's that's yeah. what we do at the Master's Fund, Anne. Yep, it's exactly what's going on, right? We we have accomplished something. Now it's time to smooth the road for the next generation. That's what champion the deal really means. Smooth that road for her. Make sure that you open those doors. Black women have been holding up more than half the sky by a very large margin for a very long time. So now it's your turn. Give these black women who are ready to come to tomorrow's, you know, become tomorrow's powerful CEOs, give them deals not a shoulder to cry on when they can't make those deals without your support. Make the inquiries, get others on board, make uh, introductions, and yeah. then let this CEO drive home the capital raise. Yeah, and don't be afraid to interrupt people too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that disrupt, too. Disrupt, <laughs> interrupt, yeah. So, and introduce. <laughs> and introduce, yeah. So that's a wrap for this episode of VC Confidential. We invite you to join us each Tuesday for a new episode as we take a deep dive into the opaque world of venture capital and share learnings and ideas on the inner workings of this shrouded corner of business finance known as venture capital. We'd like to thank our producers at WMR.FM who agreed to take a chance on our new show, VC Confidential. You can listen to future shows right here on WMR.FM and in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else you like to get your podcasts. You'll find all of our CEO Coach podcasts there as well. I'm Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music, and we are so glad you joined us on VC Confidential. You can find out more about us at outlinesventure.com. Till next week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.